This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It's my music. Break it down. It's the king. Oh, you didn't know? Stand back. I'm a nice man. I'm a Do you smell what the rock is cooking? Eat me. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 113, and it's about the themes of Brock Lesnar. And today I am joined once again by a contributor at Voices of Wrestling. It's Suit Williams. Hello, Suit. Hello, Andrew. How you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I am doing well. Ready to talk about these themes? Talk about the next big thing, Brock Lesnar. I know. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Definitely, definitely. It's been um, it's been like a year and a half since you were last on the show here, the 2019 year in review episode, I believe it was. And uh, boy, oh boy, uh, did we not know what was to come over the next 18 months. I mean, disease, despair, moral decay, hopelessness, and that's just the fiend. I mean, there was <laughs> a lot of other bad stuff out there too, of course, but. Um, but 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 seriously though, uh, Suit, uh, how have you been doing uh, these past number of months? How have you been holding up? Man, I've been holding up pretty well. I got—I don't know if it was before or after we recorded, but I got fired from one job, hired to another. Then I was deemed essential and worked through the whole thing, and then just yeah, you know, things kind of haven't changed for me because. I've still been going to work. I've still been doing my thing. I've just been doing it with a mask on. And now I'm doing it vaccinated. Which, if you haven't, do that. Please? Yeah, I'm in the same boat pretty much. I never stopped going to work this entire time. Uh, But I'm all vexed up now, which is great. Looking forward to getting back out there and uh, going to the movies actually in a few days to see Black Widow, which... I haven't done it in well over a year, which is, is pretty nuts. I think the last movie I saw in theaters was Knives Out. Um, not looking forward to the prices, mind you, of course, but uh, it is what it is, suit, I guess. Yeah, it's just a necessary evil, but I think Knives Out was the last movie I saw in theaters, too. Unless it was Halloween. It was either Halloween, Knives Out, or... That Adam Sandler gambling movie that I can't think of the name of. Uncut Gems. It was one of those three that were the last one I saw in theaters. It's funny because those are three distinctly different movies. And it's been so long you just you can't remember which one it was, right? <laughs> yeah, especially this far out. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I, I know you went to Double or Nothing a few months ago as well. And you raved about that. And I think that's something that every wrestling fan should try to go to and experience now that we're quote unquote coming out of the pandemic, so to speak, you know, is to you know go to a show and be part of that live crowd because I've said it before, but you know, watching it on TV, it makes all the difference in the world to have a big loud crowd at these wrestling shows making noise and reacting to things. 
and it just it looks like so much fun to be part of that suit you know yeah it was something else and watching it back on tape i can tell you that the crowd was so much louder in person that you know i might have i might have forgotten how like how it was to be in like a hot wrestling crowd so just being able to be back in that and feel that and experience that was just something really special and it's something I'm going to be doing again because I'm going to All Out in uh, in Chicago. So if anybody's over, down there Labor Day weekend, come say hey if you know what I look like, which you should because it's on my Twitter. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm hoping to go. I'm hoping because right now I don't know if I can because it's Labor Day weekend and a lot of people take that weekend off at work. And in, in my position, someone has to cover for me. So, you know, fingers crossed I can be there in Chicago for that show. But um, but I do know for a fact that I'm going to be at the Dynamite in Boston in a few months. Um, it got pushed back again to October, but uh, damn it, I'm going to be there. I've done my waiting suit, you know, 12 years in Azkaban. I've done my waiting. <laughs> but um, maybe we'll see Brock Lesnar there. Who knows? Oh, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? For sure. Yeah. And uh, speak of the devil. We are here to discuss uh, the not-so-extensive theme history of one Brock Lesnar, um, or Bork Laser, as the famous meme goes, uh, the Beast Incarnate, multi-time WWE champion, IWGP champion, former UFC champion as well. Brock is one of the big stars in wrestling, and one of the few true stars that WWE has had in the past decade or so. And the reason we're doing Brock now is because of some VOW synergy. Because, uh, Suit, you were doing a series of articles at VOW called The Brockumentary. Uh, do you want to tell people about that? Yeah, so The Brockumentary is an idea that I had um, a f- while ago where I take, uh, I do a retrospective on Brock Lesnar's first run through WWE from uh, the night after WrestleMania 18 to WrestleMania 20 which is wild how short that sounds. But, um, yeah, and then throughout I add a perspective from Brock himself from his book Death Clutch that he wrote in, I believe, 2011, right before he came back to WWE. So I figured, you know, it would be cool to look back on that stuff almost 20 years out now with thoughts from Brock himself. So I put that together. I got started on that. And uh, I've restarted it in the past year. And uh, yeah, we're a couple chapters in now. We just, the last chapter I did was on the uh, Undertaker feud in the fall of 2002. And the next chapter I have planned is uh, covering Brock's face turn and covering SummerSlam 2002, where he, uh, well, he was set to, uh, in, in the book, he says he was set to wrestle Hulk Hogan. But then Hulk Hogan's back flared up and kept him from laying down for three seconds, which is weird. So, uh, yeah, he went from beating Hulk Hogan in Madison Square Garden to losing to the big show in four minutes, as you do. Hogan and that that damn back of his, it just, it keeps acting up. You know, first with Brock, then with Sean a few years later. It just, it won't go away. I mean, it's like Matt Jackson, you know, the the back just keeps acting up on him. It's so unfortunate, Sue. Yep, yep. yep. It's funny how it flares up every time he thinks he's going to lose. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I have to point out, by the way, you said SummerSlam. It was Survivor Series 
where he lost a big show. Oh, did so. I say SummerSlam? Yeah. Yeah, it's Survivor Series. I did SummerSlam already. But regardless, you know, Brock is such a good subject to do a series like that because he's had such a noteworthy career, you know, even just in that first run. You, you got the, the meteoric push at such a young age, beating the Rock at SummerSlam for the belt, the Stone Cold incident, uh, bloodying up Hogan, and the Shooting Star Press botch at Mania, and him leaving, of course, to go to the NFL after Mania 20. So even if you don't cover anything else after 04, there's still a real goldmine of moments there with Brock to talk about, that's for sure. Yeah, you definitely couldn't do this with, uh, say, a Dolph Ziggler or <laughs> no. a Robert Roode. It's very much something specific to Brock that his career was so eventful. You were able to get so much out of such a short time frame. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, do you remember the first time you ever saw Brock, by the way? Uh, were you too young for that first WWE run, I imagine? Yeah, oh two to oh four, I was like uh, six, six or seven. So yeah, I would have been too young for that first run. So my first time seeing Brock, I probably would have seen some stuff on YouTube that he did um, from the first run because I started watching in oh started watching wrestling in oh eight, and then he didn't come back until twenty twelve. But I knew who he was, so I had probably seen some of his stuff on YouTube. And he just seemed really cool. And it was him coming back was very exciting because you knew what he could do from his first run. And then he had the UFC legitimacy as well. So, yeah, just my thoughts on Brock have kind of changed where uh, I don't know what more he can do in WWE now, considering he's done pretty much everything. But I'm always happy to see him. I'm still high on him. And, you know, whatever he does next, I'll probably be watching it. Yeah, I saw him towards the end of that first run, like the last seven months or whatever, when I first started watching. And um, the thing was, you know, Triple H was the big baddie on Raw, and Brock was the big baddie on SmackDown with Paul Heyman and A-Train, Nathan Jones, Matt Morgan, Big Show, the, the whole gang. And Brock was just this absolute freak of nature, just this massive dude who could move fast and seemed pretty much unkillable, I think. And then the WrestleMania 20 match with Goldberg happened, and all of a sudden, poof, Brock was gone. And I didn't see him again for a long time afterwards. Um, you know, I, I heard about him in Japan here and there, uh, but I think it was the UFC run that I got reintroduced to Brock proper. And then, of course, the second WWE run, where he was just... He was the same guy, but he just seemed bigger and grislier and even more of this, you know, monolithic figure than before, uh, in part because of that UFC run. Um, so, yeah, I first saw him uh, during his first run, but I've seen a lot more of him in wrestling with the second run, um, which is cool because, you know, for the most part, it was pretty damn awesome, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's been a really memorable run because you got him ending the streak, him having his the first match back with Cena, uh, him pretending Triple H can do uh, MMA, which was fun. <laughs> uh, the Punk matches, the title run, Suplex City being born, the Cena squash from SummerSlam. Like he's done, like despite not being around, pretty much ever. 
He's got some of the most memorable stuff of the past decade in WWE, and that's crazy when you think about it. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I think it's partly because he's not around all the time, right? He is this big deal, this special attraction who feels important whenever he comes around. And you've brought up a bunch of his big matches and highlights. Um, there was also the Goldberg matches. There was the Cena-Rollins triple threat match, uh, the AJ match, the Bryan match. Um, and again, not everything has landed, but there's some really great stuff there that is elevated because of Brock's specialness. You know, you don't have a lot of guys in wrestling who feel like a final boss. Brock does. You know, Walter does, of course. Shingo as well to an extent. But there's not many others I'd say suit. He definitely has a special feeling about him. And that's something wrestling can use a lot more of. People who feel special. People who feel like an attraction. People who... When their music hits, you know, like the feeling in the room changes. And Brock has that in spades. Mm -hmm. And I know he has his detractors as well, of course, you know, especially for his style of wrestling, which has basically become, you know, German suplexes and F5s. And that's about it, really. But but honestly, that's what makes Brock unique, too. You know, especially in this day and age of lore and hidden meetings and voodoo dolls and melodrama and staring at your hands why am i so violent a guy like brock who just comes in finisher spams like a motherfucker and leaves it feels like a rarity these days suit you know he's a regular keiji mudo except his knees still work <laughs> yeah um not as many motherfuckers as mudo either i'd say <laughs> yeah <laughs> So let's get to these themes here, and uh, like I said, this will be a rather short order because Brock's theme history is rather quick to get through. He was an accomplished amateur wrestler during the 90s, but Brock's career as a pro wrestler began in 2000 in OVW, which was WWE's developmental promotion back in the day. He spent his time in OVW primarily in a tag team with his old college roommate Shelton Benjamin called the Minnesota Stretching Crew. Great name. Brock's theme in OVW is by Limp Biscuit, off their seminal album Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water, as well as the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack. This is Take a Look Around. Halcyon days of 2000, when Limp Bizkit ruled the world, they were doing movie soundtracks, had number one albums, and they were bigger than everything. And wrestling was part of that, you know. You had Undertaker using Rollin', uh, My Way for WrestleMania and Rockin' Austin, 
And you have this as well, which comparatively is no big deal because it's OBW, but still, it's no surprise that some big white boy like Brock is coming out to Limp Bizkit in 2000, 2001 or whatever suit, you know? Yeah, if I googled the year 2000, I'm pretty sure this track would be the first thing to come up. You know, the Mission Impossible 2 theme song, Take a Look Around by Limp Bizkit. Um, a fun fact, when I googled Mission Impossible 2 to make sure it came out in 2000 for the joke to work, the first question it pulls up is, why is Mission Impossible 2 so bad? <laughs> so, there you go. But, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty much what you would expect a Limp Biscuit remix of the Mission Impossible theme to be. Whether that's good or bad depends on your opinion of Limp Biscuit. But, um, yeah, it's... It's a pretty good walkout song if you come out to like the uh, to like the build up part and then to the chorus. You know, it's got good energy. The chorus comes hard with the guitars. You know, I can see there's a lot of people I can see coming out to this, like any CZW champion. You know, but uh, I don't know if it fits Brock or Shelton. You know, it just it doesn't have that their energy. You know. Well, Brock, he did come out to Metallica and Motley Crue in UFC. So it's in, like, the same metalish ballpark there, I think. Uh, but yeah, I agree. It's not as on the nose as other songs could be. Um, but then again, you know, he's this big, muscled-up monster. So a song with aggression and yelling and big guitars, it does work for him in that regard, I think. Um, now, the story of the song is interesting because it's about Fred Durst, Responding to the critics and people who hate Limp Bizkit. Now all the critics want to hit it. You shit can how he did it. Just because they don't get it. But I'll stay fitted. New era committed. Now this red cap gets a rap from these critics. I know why you want to hate me. Because hate is all the world has even seen lately. So it's not like Roland or Break Stuff, which are, you know, I think better suited for wrestling themes. But I imagine that Brock or whomever just picked this song because they liked it soon. That, that's my guess anyway. Yeah, it's just a song where you have it on the CD, you're listening to it on the way to the show, and then you just give it to the promoter, tell them pop it in, come out to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I want to put on my English major bullshit hat, you could see this song as a bit of foreshadowing. You know, Brock has become a rather polarizing figure among fans, you know, for his match structure or his booking or his politics or what have you. So he does have his critics, but... He also usually gets the last laugh, too. Like in the song that goes, Limp Bizkit is rocking the set. It's like Russian roulette when you place in, you bet. So don't be upset when you're broke and you're done, cause I'ma be the one till I jet. And that's Brock. The guy comes in, he's the big attraction, he wins a bunch, he makes a fuckload of money, and then he jets. He's gone. So hate him all you want. But Brock is often the one who wins in the end, I suppose, suit. So there is some potential foreshadowing there, perhaps. And even back then, Brock was all about his money, because if you read it in his book, he, it becomes very clear very quickly. Brock was about his bills. He was about becoming a legend at the bank more than anything else. And <laughs> he succeeded at that. He has succeeded. Yeah, it turns out when you make a shitload of money, you can just stay in a farm and hunt deer, and just do whatever you want. So, yeah, Brock did very well for himself when it came to money, that's for sure. Walking um, two miles to make a phone call to Paul Heyman. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, um, I haven't seen all that much of Brock and OVW, but I have seen the clip of him doing the shooting star press down there, and he hits that baby clean as a sheet. You know, I, I said the guy is a freak of nature. I mean, for someone of his size to do a shooting star press like that is is nuts. And unfortunately, the one at Mania 19 went a bit uh, a bit sour, shall we say. Um, but if he had that one clean, that would have been just an amazing moment for sure, suit. Um, in a good way, you know, so. <laughs> it would have been the cherry on top of the best WrestleMania main event of all time. And instead, it scared the company into thinking they lost their top two stars on SmackDown. Because Kurt Angle was the one who came in with the broken neck. And then Brock almost broke his. Must have been something in the water. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? That that Seattle air, perhaps. I don't know. (laughs) So... Uh, so Brock does some dark matches in 01 and 02 on uh, Jacked and Metal and things of that nature, but um, he debuts on the main roster on Raw on March 18th, 2002, the day after WrestleMania 18, with Paul Heyman as his manager, and he just destroys everybody in the ring. Oh my god, the clip of him in his debut, Spike Dudley gets powerbombed into dust. It's amazing. And, uh, yeah, the next big thing, Brock Lesnar, has arrived. Uh, His first theme there on the main roster lasts for a couple months. It's by Jim Johnston off of WWE Uncaged 4. This is Enforcer. Sir, you know, so da 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 a licky boom boom da. Oh wait, that's the that's the wrong song. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, when people think of Brock's WWE theme, I guarantee you it's not this, right? This this is one of those songs that has become lost to time, mainly because it was only around for a few months. And those first few months of Brock on the main roster, he's not really doing anything of note all that much. He's pretty much just beating up the Hardy Boys a lot. So it's not until King of the Ring that he gets his proper theme and things pick up from there. So it's no wonder that people don't really remember this theme at all because it's from a period of time where Brock was just getting going. Um, And also, it's just not that memorable of a song either, Suit, right? Yeah, the first... The opening of the song is good, though. Like, it feels foreboding and it feels heavy. And I think if it was connected to a less generic song, it could have been something. It could have been something that worked, but you know, after that like 30 second mark, it gets you know in your generic 2002 hard guitar, you know, for WWF. Um, as it stands, there isn't much special about it. Um, I will say though, 
at the 225 mark, Jim Johnston does let loose with the guitars, probably because he knows no one's ever going to hear that part. <laughs> so he kind of just does his own thing. And it makes me want to go back and listen to other generic themes to see if he snuck little Easter eggs in there too. Because I think that'd be pretty fun if, funny if he did. Oh, listen, him and his big, crunchy metal guitars, he likes to get his shit in like Brian Cage, that's for sure. No matter what kind of song it is. Um, but this one, you know, it's like with Limp Biscuit, it has that aggression and heft to it where it can fit Brock pretty well. And it works, too, with how simple it is, I think. You know, Brock is not this super complex character, so he doesn't need a super complex theme. Um, the problem, though, is, again, that doesn't always make for the most memorable song sometimes, um, especially when it's used so shortly in suit. So, in this case, yeah, I think it works for him, but in the long run, it's not going to be remembered fondly. Yeah, and they tried to make it memorable. They tried to add a bunch of different, like, stingers to it to the start. Yep. Like, they had, like, you know, guitars. One was a jackhammer. Like, it felt like they were kind of just trying to find... They were scrambling to find something cool to start the song off with. Now, I think it would be funny if you imagine them doing that with, like, Brock quotes that he would later have. Like with Steve <laughs> Richards, like, I'll show you, you'll see. Imagine that with Brock, like, Paul, say something stupid. Him screaming at The Undertaker, I will kill you. <laughs> Give me Goldberg. <laughs> or the, uh, the the Triple H WrestleMania scream. <laughs> I think those would have worked a little better. <laughs> I got to go feed the Jew. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's that's great. That's great. But um, but yeah, like you said, you know, every week it was a new intro with like a steel noise or a guitar riff or the jackhammer um, until we get that famous. But that's an iconic intro, of course, that just signals right away. You're fucked. You know, it it sounds like the roar of some demonic beast that's about to maul its prey. So. A lot of different ideas there for the intro, but uh, thankfully they found one that stuck. Um. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from Arena Club com the only repack that provides real value a complete view of all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one now when i buy slab packs at arena club it finally feels like i know what i'm getting i was able to open an arena club slab pack and and i'll be honest it was a lot better than what you normally do say you go to a card show and there's a random innocuous round bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club 
you get a display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voice of wrestling podcast network also uh one more thing uh the original title of this song according to jim johnston's bmi page is about to be broken which is a fitting name, but it was called Enforcer on the official release, which keep that in mind for later because that'll come back up. So Brock gets a new theme at King of the Ring 02, and uh, he wins the King of the Ring, and it's off to the races with him becoming the youngest WWE champion of all time, still to this day. And he keeps this theme for the rest of that first run, and uh, years later, when he comes back for the second one in 2012. This is by Jim Johnston off of WWE Anthology. It's called Next Big Thing. Here comes the pain. So they kept the intro from Enforcer, which is great. And they gave Brock a new song, which, again, is fairly simple. But it fits Brock just so well. It's so intense. Those stabbing chords. Dun, 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 dun. Just full-on attack mode from the jump. Um, there are also record scratches and a guy in the background going, ba, 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 which... Is a little odd, but for some reason it works. And again, it's been Brock's theme forever, starting from the actual push at King of the Ring 
to beating Flair and Hogan, and then The Rock, and the Big Show and Kurt Angle feuds, and so on and so forth. So at this point, we just can't not think of Brock Lesnar having this song suit, no matter what. Not a lot has uh, sustained since June of 2002, but this song is one of them, and rightfully so. You know that you did the Taz intro, and I do think Taz has a lot to do with this song being as linked to Lesnar as it is. You know, you hear the intro, and if you're familiar with that point in SmackDown at all, you can hear him going, well, here comes the pain. Like, right as that intro hits, you see Brock doing his entrance. And, yeah, I think Taz did, had a lot to do with that song being, you know, as iconic as it is with Brock. So, um, yeah, when I hear this, I imagine, like, an animal hunting after its prey, like some, like a tiger hunting after, like, a gazelle or something. Like, it's something where it's like, you hear the stinger and you know it's all about to hit the fan. You know, when this song hits, you never know what's about to happen. Brock could rip the door off of a car. He can try and behead Zach Gowan in front of his mom. He can come out and dance with the money in the bank briefcase. You just never know what he's going to do. And it's perfect because you don't know what Brock Lesnar is going to do when he shows up. You never know when he's going to show up. And that just fits him so perfectly. Him and his vibe just really, really well. And to me, this is one of those songs that is helped a lot by the presentation of Brock and what he's doing. Because the song itself is you're fine, but... You add in Taz going, well, here comes the pain, and Brock flexing and jogging in place, the hop onto the apron with the pyro, um, the entrance video with Brock, you know, shaking his head with the sweat flying. Like, to me, that helps put the song over the top and make it just so much more memorable. It's not just the music, it's the accoutrements, as they say. Um, And again, the fact that Brock does stand out as this striking figure to look at, you know, that helps too, I think, suit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And here's the thing that a lot of people may not know. Um, This song was not written for Brock originally, because this was originally the song for a little team called the Chicago Enforcers in a little league called the XFL. And when that went bust, Jim Johnston reused this song for Brock. And that has led to speculation that this song, Next Big Thing, was originally called Enforcer for the team name. And then when Brock got it, they changed it to Next Big Thing. And then for whatever reason, Brock's first theme, About to be Broken, became known as Enforcer. So it's a bit complex, but that's the theory anyway. So, um, I mean, to be honest, like, if I had my next big star and he had a song from my football league that bombed really badly... I changed the name too, Suit, so... (laughs) Well, quite frankly, I feel like this theme song is a bit... useful. (laughs) Where's my football? football? There it is. (laughs) Yeah. The Extra Fun League. (laughs) But, uh, But yeah, that's some trivia for you about Brock's theme. Um, now, when Brock came back in 2012, I mentioned that he still had this theme song, but then the next year he got a new version of this song, quote-unquote, which he now has. So let's hear version two of Next Big Thing. (laughs) 
To borrow a meme from The Office, management wants you to find the difference between these two themes. They're the same theme. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess Jim Johnston went in and did a little remix to spruce things up and make it a bit bolder, but yeah, ultimately, you can't tell the difference really soon. It, it's the same song, pretty much, right? Are you sure you played the second version? <laughs> or is that the first version again? I swear it's supposed to be new. I swear. I swear. But um, but yeah, nothing else to say about it, really, I think. So yeah, so. So one more theme here, and this is from the time that Brock spent in between his WWE runs. Uh, like I said, he left in 04 after Mania 20, tries up for the Minnesota Vikings, and uh, that ends up going nowhere. So Brock goes back to wrestling, this time for New Japan. A run that we'll see is uh, quite the affair. Uh, Brock's New Japan theme was never officially released, so the quality isn't that great, but we do have it. I believe it's just called the Brock Lesnar theme. Again, like with Enforcer, this is one that people may not think of right away when it comes to Brock, if at all. But I gotta say, this one, it's not half bad. You know, it touches on the familiar with the big rock stuff during the main section, but it also does something new with the intro, with the horns and synths. So, you know, for as maligned as Brock's New Japan run was, and for good reason, the song is, you know, pretty decent, I think, Suit. I would disagree. Um, I do think it fits Brock's New Japan run to a T, in that it is completely forgettable. <laughs> like, you know, there's a lot, like, after the intro, which does feel kind of, I don't know, regal, if, the, if that's the right word. But after the intro, it's just a lot of guitars and random noises, and it doesn't particularly mix very well. Like, I, I just don't think there's anything to this one. Like, it's just very much a song Brock Lesnar came out to. And there's nothing much more to add. Okay, well, well, to me, you know, I think the key with any Brock theme is, you know, does it paint him as a big deal? Uh, you know, literally and figuratively. And, and this does. Um, the opening has, like, that gladiator feel to it. And then it builds up into that big rock section, which has this really loud percussive boom in there. Um, you know, again, I'm not saying it's the best Brock theme or whatever, but I think it does a good job of saying, here is Brock Lesnar, he's a badass titan, and he's going to fuck some shit up. You know, it, it works in that regard, suit, I think. Yeah, they do treat him as if, 
you know, he's a big deal. He comes in and wins the title, obviously. Did he ever drop it? I don't think he no, did. He does not. Yeah. Uh, the story goes that, yeah, he comes in, wins the belt in a three-way, beats a bunch of guys, uh, eats up Nakamura at the Tokyo Dome, and then he's supposed to wrestle Tanahashi, but he leaves with the physical belt, and he doesn't drop it until like a year later in Anoki's promotion, IGF, to Kurt Angle. And then Angle goes to New Japan later on to unify the two belts uh, with Nakamura. So yeah, Brock in New Japan is uh, a real wild story, that's for sure, Suit. His New Japan run sounds like what people think his second WWE run is, <laughs> where he just beats everybody and leaves. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a whole big thing, that's for sure. But um, but it's weird to look back on it now, just to see Brock in this like weird in between zone, you know, between the WWE runs where. He's got new music, and he's in red trunks and red boots, and he also changed the name of the F5. Uh, do you remember what the new name of the F5 was when he was in New Japan suit? I knew it at some point. I do not remember it right now. The Verdict, because oh, WWE yeah. tried to file a restraining order to stop him from wrestling in New Japan, which didn't work. So he called the move The Verdict as a little cheeky nod to that stuff. Yeah, he signed this, when he got his release, he didn't really look at it, as he says in the <laughs> book. And so they tried to have him under, I believe it was a 10-year no-compete <laughs> that included UFC. So, uh, yeah, he uh, he was right to call it the verdict, because it went in his favor. Yeah, just like how Brock doesn't watch Raw, he also doesn't read the contract. Why would I read the contract, Paul? You know, so <laughs> for what reason would I do this? <laughs> yeah, but uh, Brock in New Japan, crazy days. That's for sure. That's for sure. All right. Well, those were the themes of Brock Lesnar, and um, as we are recording this, Brock is now a free agent. You know, his WWE contract ran out last month, I believe, which means that we don't know what Brock Lesnar is going to do next. He could go back to WWE. He could give Marco Stunt an F5 on Dynamite next week. Like, he could show up anywhere. Or he could just stay home on his farm, too, you know. So, Brock, he's one of those guys who is just comfortable enough where he's in charge of his own destiny. But that's been his MO for most of his career, too, you know. He does what's best for himself, for better or for worse. And if the money is right and he does come back somewhere, I'll be interested because it's Brock Lesnar. The guy is an attraction. And if he doesn't come back, well, there's plenty of deer to hunt, I guess, suits. So, you know, whatever works for him. He is a, like, a F5, the F5 is named after a uh, tornado, right? Yep. I want to make sure I have that right, because Brock is a lot like a tornado. You never know when he's going to hit. You can kind of feel it if it does. But whenever he hits, things change very quickly. So, you know. Yeah, I can't wait to see what he does next, if he does anything next, because it'll very likely be the most interesting thing going on, wherever it happens. Yeah, yeah, him showing up in Noah, you know, going up to Keiji Mudo, party's over, Grandpa, you know, <laughs> it'd be fun to see at least, so, you know. <laughs> He's got 18 months left on that deal, we gotta do something with him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Map. Thank you so much for listening, 
And uh, Sue, thank you so much for being here. A shorter episode than we've done so far, I think, but still, this was a lot of fun talking about Brock and his themes and whatnot here. Absolutely. I would agree. Thank you for having me on. Much appreciated. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any plugs you want to give? Go right ahead. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Suit Williams. Hey, my little sister just walked in. High five. Thanks. Um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Suit Williams. You can check out the Brockumentary at VoicesOfWrestling.com. And yeah, I also uh, am part of a podcast, Smart Sports. We talk about the wrestling of the week. We also talk about sports whenever we think to, but it's kind of just become a wrestling podcast now. So, uh, yeah, check that out, Smart Sports. And, uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. That was a flagship-like run-in from your sister there. It was great. <laughs> yeah, she was coming in seeing when her food would be ready. <laughs> they've been they've been uh, cooking behind me, so. I could hear. Good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And uh, Music of the Mat is, of course, part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can find all the great podcasts on there at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. If you want to discuss this episode or other topics, you can do so at the VOW Discord. That's VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Discord. If you want to donate to the show, you can do that. Just go to VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Donate and click the big Donate button beneath the name Music of the Mat. If you donate, hey, thanks so much. You're awesome. And of course, rate, review, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. Suit, thank you again, and I'll see you around. Thank you, Andrew. All right, for Suit Williams, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. Music of the Mat is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders.